This episode is brought to you by Set for Life Insurance. Listen, docs, one of the first steps we took to pay off our student loan debt was realizing we paid way too much for our disability insurance. That all changed when we found Set for Life Insurance. They helped us with a customized insurance policy that met our needs and most of all, budget. To learn more, check out setforlifeinsurance.com. This episode is brought to you by Physician CEO. Finally, a business program for busy doctors just like you. Get the skills of branding, marketing, entrepreneurship, and combine those with your gifts as a physician. Be known as a doc outside the box and define your future. Learn more at physician-ceo.com forward slash D-O-T-B. Welcome to Docs Outside the Box Podcast. This is your official show, looking inside the minds of cutting edge and innovative doctors. Think you'll find these stories in any medical textbook? Sorry. You're getting real live insight from men and women pushing the envelope beyond medicine. Ordinary doctors doing extraordinary things. Let's start now with your host, Dr. Nee Darko. What's good, everyone? This is Dr. Nee here. Yo, thank you very much for tuning in for another episode of Docs Outside the Box. I also want to thank you for continuing to share these episodes with other people. I always appreciate the feedback that I get. It is so, so much appreciated. Also, for those who continue to go on Apple Podcasts, mad props, I really appreciate it. We've had a recent uptick in the amount of reviews left on Apple Podcasts. You know, it really helps me to understand what's working for you, helps me to understand what doesn't work for you. And also at the same time, it makes it easier for new listeners to find out about the show based off of how the rankings are going. So please continue to leave reviews. I read each and every one of them. So for those who are listening to the show, I know that just hearing the stories of docs living outside the box, that might not be enough to get you all to consider doing something drastic in your life, in your career. You may need more than just examples of living non-traditionally. These episodes, I know that they open your eyes to what exists out there non-traditionally, but it's actually the mindset if you take and look a step deeper that is holding us back, right? Where the work is done is with the mindset. And I'm talking about that fixed mindset. After this episode, I want you to look up Fixed versus Growth Mindset by Carol Dweck and so that you can get a deeper understanding of this topic. And in a future episode, I'll be talking about this, but it's that mindset that manifests as negative thoughts that hold you back, right? It's the, I can't do it. It's the, who's going to take me seriously? If you know what I'm talking about, if this resonates with you, raise your hand, say preach, say this guy gets me. It's also, who am I to be a leader in X, Y, and Z space? And these thoughts, I'm not going to lie, are really difficult to break. I suffer from them sometimes. And simply telling someone look, why don't you go ahead and just be a doc outside the box? That ain't going to work. So I want to start incorporating into my regular schedule, into future episodes, guests, topics, books, resources that focus on the topic of mindset as well as habit building. And that's going to start with my next guest. My next guest is Dr. Nate Klemp. And he is a philosopher, an entrepreneur, as well as a co-author of the New York Times bestselling book called Start Here, Mastered a Lifelong Habit of Well-Being. And I'm really excited to have him on a show as well as, look, we are having a best-selling, New York Times best-selling book author on this show, and I'm excited about it. 
And this book is about learning that the same way we train our body for fitness is the same way you can train your brain for wellness as well as well-being. And to all the docs who are suffering with physician burnout right now, I want you all to listen carefully. I've gotten a chance to read this book. This book is a major go. I've been able to take some of these techniques from this book and start my own personal revolution. Trust me, I definitely recommend this to you. But not just this book we're talking about, but we're also going to talk about how he co-founded what's called the Life Cross Training System. And this helps people, helps systems develop habits. And it's using the best of ancient wisdom. It's using neuroscience and positive psychiatry to help people form habits. Okay. Currently, this is being used by select healthcare systems to help physicians battle burnout as well as get peak performance out of them. So look, we are covering a lot on this episode. I can't wait for you all to hear. Remember, share this episode with someone who you think needs a mindset reset. And without further ado, I present Dr. Nate Klemp. Let's get it. So this is the first time ever I got a New York Times bestselling author, Nate Klemp, who's a writer, philosopher, and entrepreneur, and now the co-author of the New York Times bestselling book, Start Here, Master the Lifelong Habit of Well-Being. Nate, what's good? What's up? Thank you for being on Docs Outside the Box, man. So great to be here. Thanks for having me. Really excited yeah. for the conversation. Yeah, I'm really excited about this because obviously, you know, well-being, meditation, a lot of the things that are covered in this book, it's a big deal right nowadays, right, with everybody really focusing on having their own mindset, changing mindset. And, you know, I was really interested to get your perspective, not just on your book, but also in how this can help physicians really pivot, right? And there's so many different ways that we, we can go into this. So I was really excited when you reached out, really excited to read your book. I'm still getting through the book, but I got through the majority of it. And it's a really great read. Awesome. Well, that's great to hear. Yeah, yeah. So let's start. The thing that I'm really interested in is obviously this book called Start Here. It's part of your Life XT training system. Before we even get into the book, can we just talk about your Life Cross training system, how that works with well-being, mindset, and so forth? And then we'll use that as a baseline to kind of start our conversation. Yeah, I think that's a great place to start. So as you said, the book is Start Here, but really the system of habits underlying the book is what we call Life XT which is short for life cross-training. And the way we came up with that idea is about seven years ago when Eric and I were founding the company and writing the book, what we wanted to do is essentially bring together the best of ancient wisdom. So that's my background. I'm a philosopher by training. We wanted to combine that with all these advances in neuroscience and positive psychology, which are validating the benefits of these practices. And then most importantly, we wanted to create a really simple, accessible, habit-forming system that anybody could use to take everyday life moments and begin to use those as opportunities to build some of these new habits of well-being and resilience. So that was kind of the beginning, and it was funny at the beginning, you know, seven years ago, P90X was like a big thing. I haven't oh, heard yeah. much about P90X lately, yeah. but you probably remember P90X. I used it actually. It oh yeah, me too. Years ago. Yeah. yeah, I actually pulled my hamstring like, <laughs> to put P90X. So it didn't work for me. But I guess you pulled it on the plyos. It was the, no, the karate thing, the Kempo. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Like you had to do all these kicks. And so yeah. anyway, so I pulled my hamstring. But, you know, what was really interesting about P90X from kind of a fitness perspective we thought anyway, is that they took all these different exercises 
And it was based on this idea of muscle confusion that, you know, you do some yoga, you do some strength training, you do this, you know, plyometrics, et cetera. And you get the benefits of all these different practices. And we really thought, you know, this idea of cross training should extend beyond just physical fitness. And, you know, the more we learned about these practices of mental and emotional fitness, we started to see there's no difference between the way you train your body and the way you train your mind. And so why not use that same paradigm when it comes to building greater resilience, improving our well-being? And so that's really like the genesis of this idea of life cross-training is this idea that, you know, we can take several, we actually have nine practices in the book, but we can take different practices, all of which have a slightly different set of benefits. And we can kind of get the best of all of those and put it in a program, make it simple, easy to use and give people a way to form habits out of those practices. Now, that's a big deal, though, because as I was reading through your book, there's this notion, almost dogma that once the brain kind of reaches adulthood, like there's no other changing, there's really no ability for it to kind of elastic or plastic in a sense. So that's kind of going in the face of that, right? Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's interesting because I feel like this idea of neuroplasticity has become pretty mainstream. And on some level, a lot of us who are, you know, reading the latest articles and things like that, we understand this. And yet a lot of our intuitions, I think, are still stuck in this paradigm of like the fixed brain, right? You know, when you think about, oh, well, I'm just not a very happy person, or I'm just not a very resilient person, or that person's really resilient, that person's really happy. There's an intuition underneath those kinds of judgments that says, you know, you're kind of fixed. You're locked into a certain state of mental and emotional fitness. And as you said, the research in neuroplasticity undermines that. And really, our book and our program is an attempt to give anybody the opportunity to really test that for themselves, to go out and see, you know, if you incorporate some of these practices that have been shown to change the very structure of the brain you know, you can, and you know, many thousands of our participants have done it. My whole life is like an experiment in this. I've been testing this out for like 10 years. Let's, so let's, I've experienced this firsthand as well. Let's talk about your past because I think yeah. according in the book, like you had a situation where you ended up having to use some of these techniques to kind of move past. You had an accident. Let's hear more about that. Yeah. So we work in healthcare and we work a lot on this idea of physician burnout. And I like to say, I've never been a physician but I have burned out. <laughs> and so, you know, for me, the way it happened is I was getting a PhD in philosophy. You know, I sort of thought that philosophy was going to be my pathway to living the good life. And, you know, I'd read Aristotle and Plato and Thoreau and, you know, just become kind of a person who is thriving and that sort of thing. A Renaissance uh, didn't, man. Yeah, Renaissance man, exactly. It didn't exactly turn out that way. <laughs> like I got to the end of graduate school. And I was just a mess. I mean, all my fellow grad students were a mess. I had a bike accident. It was the least resilient and happy I think I've ever been in my life. And so that was a big turning point for me on a couple levels. First, I started to rethink the nature of philosophy because I'd been trained in this like highly academic tradition where philosophy is equated to writing papers that only other professors and philosophy grad students read. Mm -hmm. So it made that's me question that. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> exactly. Right. But then it also made me think, okay, I know how to develop a system. You know, I used to be a jazz piano player and one of my great teachers, this guy named Andres Allen in Cuba, 
he used to always say, you know, what's your system? You got to build a system. I use the same thing in philosophy. So then I started thinking, okay, what I really need to do is figure out a way to retrain my mind and my body in this situation. And that led me to this kind of decade long exploration of yoga and meditation and all sorts of different, what I would call inner technologies of the mind. And really using that as a way to figure out both my own system for training the skill of resilience, but then also something that could be generalizable that anybody could use. And I guess you could say that's what we've been up to. You know, that's kind of the project we've been on for quite a while now. Now, you know, I'm really interested during this time of self-reflection, building systems and understanding, you know, maybe you weren't at that moment very resilient. Did you ever find out what exactly was that one thing that was causing you to be burnt out or that one thing that was causing you not to be, you know, as resilient as you thought you were before your accident or even before you realized that you were burnt out? Well, that's a great question. Certainly, there was a lot of stress. You know, the job market for political philosophy grad students is not exactly thriving. So that was part of it. But I actually think for me, it was really, I had this bike accident. Yeah, I landed on my head and I injured my jaw in a significant way, which created all sorts of weird symptoms, ringing in my ears, dizziness. And, you know, dealing with those kinds of physical, like really intense physical discomforts, I think was probably the main driver. So being able to overcome some of that through training my body and, you know, mind with yoga and things like that was really helpful. And, you know, it gives me a lot of compassion for people who have significant injuries. I think it really has both a physical and a psychological effect when you're not able to do the kinds of things you used to do. And recovery takes a long time. Well, not to force you to kind of spill the guts of your book, because we want people to go out there and get (laughs) it. But can you give those who are listening, those who are not familiar with the book, give us like a brief overview. Like, what's this book about? What should they expect? I know we talked initially about the Life Mm -hmm. XT system, but... You know, what things should I expect in this book? Yeah, well, basically what we didn't start here is we wanted to bring together what we thought were the key practices that were both running throughout these ancient wisdom traditions, but also validated by science. So, you know, in other words, we know that, you know, for the skeptical reader, it's not enough to just say like, oh, you're going to feel great after this practice. You have to have some real data. And a lot of books do that, you know, they kind and of, of do that afterwards. Well, especially in like this mindfulness, meditation, wellness space, you know, we had experienced a lot of this kind of woo-woo. Yeah, I live in Boulder, right? There's a lot of this, I would call it almost like a hippie woo-woo paradigm of wellness, which I actually love and I enjoy, but it's not good when you're going into businesses or healthcare systems. You know, what we determined was there were really nine practices that we saw as being both deeply rooted in these traditions, but also validated by a lot of evidence and really accessible, I guess you could say. And in the book, we kind of divide these up into a few primary stages. So there's what we call the train stage, which consists of meditation, inquiry, and movement. These are what we see as kind of like the foundational practices you know, that could be practiced daily, ideally. And then we have two other stages, which we call being and doing. And there's kind of a balancing act between these two that we're all doing all the time. But these are sets of practices that, you know, you might not have to do every day, but can be really powerful in the course of your everyday life. 
you know, the thing that I found really interesting is that you've used this system to help healthcare systems on a larger scale. I think there's a case study that you worked with, I think a system called Mission Health. Mm -hmm. And I guess before Mission Health realized that 50% of their physicians and nurses were symptomatic of burnout, had some type of form of exhaustion. And I guess your goal or the company's goal was to try to find some type of wellness program to help them face those issues a little bit easier. And looking at the results right now, you're able to get 98% program satisfaction, 19% increase in workplace performance, 22% increase in focus. And this is great. You know, I'm really interested because my audience that's listening right now, many of them are individual doctors who are changing careers, who are, you know, they spent over a decade having one set of mindfulness, of just being single-minded, of purpose, wanting to be a physician. They've gotten the credentials, they've gotten degrees, and maybe, you know, the expectations don't necessarily meet reality. I wanted to know, like, do you work with individual physicians and physicians who are normally with this type of mindset, like, how do you help them kind of change their direction as opposed to helping an entire health system? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, as you mentioned, we've worked with a number of fairly large healthcare systems where we've worked with nurses and doctors inside those systems. We do work with individual doctors and nurses who are interested in the program. And I think that there's a couple things I would say about that shift in mindset. So one thing I've heard from a lot of the physicians we've worked with is that there's this kind of old school mentality in medicine, and you could probably attest to this, that you got to just kind of grind it out. There's just not time to take 10 minutes to meditate, right? Like, (laughs) what a waste of time. Like, you know, if you feel bad or you're totally stressed out or you're overwhelmed, just grind it out, right? Keep going, keep pushing. And I think there's a lot of virtue to that mindset. I'm not saying that's a bad way of thinking, but there's also a danger to that mindset, which is our body and our mind have certain limits. You know, there's an edge to how far we can push it. And if we push beyond that edge and we fail to do the kinds of practices that help us kind of build resilience and raise our threshold for stress, the result is burnout, right? And this is something you're hearing about all the time in in conferences. I mean, this is a huge deal, right? So we know that this happens, right? That there's no controversy over, you know, is burnout possible? Yes, it's definitely possible. So one piece of the work we do is to kind of offer an alternative perspective that says, yeah, we can push really hard and we can work really hard, but there are certain practices that are pretty time efficient that we can weave into the course of our day that allow us to get even more out of our work and at the end of the day feel a little bit more relaxed, a little bit more calm. And so that's, I think, one key shift in mindset. The other thing I would say is this applies both to physicians and lawyers and everybody who we work with because we work outside of healthcare as well, which is, you know, I'd say 20 years ago, the paradigm was time management and we're, everybody's trying to figure out how to manage time better, Stephen Covey, this kind of stuff. Then there's this whole sort of next wave of how you manage energy, you know, and there's the energy project and really cool ideas about, you know, it's not just about your time, it's about how you manage your energy, great paradigm. I think the, the new paradigm that we're in now, like the cutting edge, is how do you manage attention? In other words, how do you manage your mind? Because over the last 12 years, since the smartphone comes oh my in, goodness, play, yeah. right? Like yeah. all of a sudden we are flooded with like, way too much information. We're addicted to our phones. There's all these notifications happening constantly. And if you're a doctor or a nurse, you got the EMR to deal with. 
right? So how we manage our mind and our attention, I think to me is the problem of our time. And that's really the other thing we're trying to look at in our work with physicians is how do you manage your mind and your attention more skillfully? Because if you can do that, I mean, there's huge opportunity there for getting more done, for being less stressed, more relaxed, et cetera. You have an interesting take on it, though. So you believe that you know, our minds weren't really evolved to take this much notifications and this much digital information. Yeah, well, so one of the things we write about in the book, you know, and this is one of the themes of a lot of the contemporary neuroscience coming out, is to say that you know, really our brain was set up for this kind of prehistoric set of conditions where you know, one neuroscientist calls it like uh, Velcro for the negative and Teflon for the positive. So in other words, the brain is set up to really fixate and remember those bad things. Because if you're on the savanna and you know that there's a lion or a snake behind that rock over there, you really need to remember that. That's more important than remembering like, oh, it's going to be a beautiful sunset this evening, right? Because one of those things is going to dictate whether or not you live another day. The other is just kind of, you know, it's nice. So there's this whole wiring that we have, you know, this fight or flight response and the whole kind of way in which our body and our mind reacts to stress that's designed for this kind of like occasional short-term stressful situation like a lion coming at you, right? The problem now is that we have these kind of mildly stressful situations or reminders right. happening a thousand times a day, right? So, and it's activating the very same system, the same neurobiology. And so that can become a real problem, right? Just in terms of sort of overtaxing the nervous system and leading to things like anxiety and burnout and depression, all these things that you know, are, are, are on the rise. I think it's no coincidence that there's been this huge rise in mental health issues while there's also been this change in the way we interact and communicate. Do you think a big deal? I wonder if a big issue is like comparing yourself to other people. And once again, back to that whole concept of just like the expectation of what my life is supposed to be is not really meeting that reality. Mm-hmm. And someone put up like a perfect Instagram post or Instagram, yes, you know, Facebook post and you know, I like there's a part in your book where you talk about, you know, they've gone on vacation and they put all this stuff on Facebook, but you don't really know about the stress that it took to plan this vacation. Or now that they're back yeah. at a regular nine to five, what's that stress? That's not being posted on Facebook. Exactly. You know, but it's this comparison that I think is, I don't know if that's the primary issue, but I think that's possibly at the root of a lot of unhappiness that we see now. Yeah. I mean, we like to talk about it as you go on social media, for example, and you're watching the highlight reel of everybody else's life. Right. Meanwhile, you are confronted with the full picture of your own human suffering. And, you know, you have good moments and bad moments, right? And, and challenges. But as you say, nobody else is posting about what's really happening. And in the book, we call that the open secret. It's this idea that if you talk to anybody, I talk to a lot of people, if you really scratch under the surface with anybody, no matter how successful, you start to hear that, like all beings, this is a person who suffers. Like all beings, this is a person who has doubts, right? And so we're all confronted with the sort of human reality of fear and insecurity and doubt. And yet, as you say, when it's veiled over this kind of polished way, can be really isolating. And as you said, there's a lot of research that's been coming out about social media in particular, you know, and especially with adolescents, just the harmful (laughs) effect of that comparison. Right. 
And now a word from our sponsor. Meet Dr. Arthur Cummings. He's a busy ophthalmologist practicing all the way in Dublin, Ireland. Recently, he finished physician CEO. Check out what got him to jump on the transatlantic flight to participate in this program. My initial response would simply be just do it. This is one of those programs that is so good. It's very likely to be the best education you've ever received. And you realize then as a physician, how little we really know about our businesses, even though we're running businesses that are quite large. And the level of training is so fantastic. The education is so good. The faculty is immaculate and you're in a group of people who are like-minded. So just the entire environment is an amazing learning experience and really a good incubator for growing your practice. So if you're a physician who's looking to start your own venture or even lead your practice or department, then you can't afford to miss this opportunity. Class is filling up. Learn more at physician-ceo.com forward slash D-O-T-B. I didn't tell you about this before, but I'm actually interested on your take and if you would be willing to do like a scenario on the show. Oh, um, yeah. You can kind of take this. someone through the process. I want to put myself on Front Street because I want to put myself out there. So Let's I'm going to tell it. you about myself and then I want you to kind of take me briefly through this system and let me know okay. exactly what I can do to kind of change my mindset. So basically, I love it. I am 40. I grew up wanting to be a kid. I grew up in New York City, wanted to be a kid. Cosby mm-hmm. Show was big for me. Mm-hmm. Um, Doogie Howser, MD, all of those different things were big for me. And it wasn't really the fact when I was younger that I wanted to be a doctor. It was just like that lifestyle for mm-hmm. me was what I wanted, right? I wanted the wife, mm-hmm. I wanted the kids and all those different things. And then obviously, as I went through school, you know, reinforced all the different things about being a physician that is really amazing. And um, got to that point, jumped through the hoops, got through the hurdles, got, got, yep. became a physician and just wanted more and realized that I wanted more and more and more and was not really smelling the roses, missed all the different funerals mm. and well, missed some funerals, excuse me. And, you know, yeah. great times of weddings and all those different things. But realizing that, you know, there's a point where, you know, maybe I want to challenge myself more in different ways that are not really related to becoming a physician. There's more to mm. being a physician. I'm not mm-hmm. just a doc, right? Yeah. And it's been a slow process, but I'm going through a situation right now where I'm wondering, you know, I would love to spend more time doing my podcast. I'd love to spend more time doing mm-hmm. other things, but I always know that it's very easy to go back to work as a physician. Mm-hmm. It takes mm-hmm. a lot of time. I don't have as much time to spend on other projects. So I want to yeah. know, like, if I was sitting in your office or if I was, you know, going through this system, <laughs> yeah. this is literally 15 years, over 15, 16 years yeah. of habits and so forth. Like, how do you break that? What are your thoughts? How do you mm-hmm. do that? Yeah. I love it. This is great. I love that we're doing a, we're, I call it playing with live bullets. (laughs) So yeah, no, I mean, I think that a couple of things I would say, one is, you know, as I mentioned before, there's nine practices in this program. And one of the reasons I like having a variety of different practices is that different people are in different kinds of life situations. So there are certain practices that are going to be the perfect ones for them in a particular situation where it's for somebody else, you know, maybe there's some other practice that's better. So the way I'd like to look at your situation is to think about given what you're talking about, given the issues you're thinking about, what would be like the two or three or maybe one to two practices that would be the biggest game changers for you, right? Out of our system. So I'll just shoot off the cuff, but I'd be curious before I I do. For me, I think the system that I really would like to, 
understand and really, I always have an issue with this is just being mindful and meditating, right? Yeah. That's a big issue. And then the two most important things are gratitude and compassion. Those yeah. are the things that for me are like, I think if I understood those situations a little bit better, it helped me to understand my current state and realize yeah. that that is okay and I can change positions and I can make sacrifices and so forth. Yeah. So gratitude, I think, is a big deal. It's probably the most time efficient practice that I know of, just in the sense that 15 seconds of gratitude, we do it in my house at dinner every night. You know, I have my seven-year-old daughter do it. I do it. My wife does it. It's like 15 seconds. I say one thing and it, it totally changes my mood. And, and the research bears that out, by the way. I love the idea of meditation. The other one I would throw in the mix for the particular dynamic that you've described is this practice that we call inquiry, mm -hmm. which to me is one of the most challenging, but also one of the most powerful practices, I guess you could say, in our program. And the basic idea of inquiry is that you know, we have all these stories about our life and about who we are and about what's working and what's not working. And when we start to peel back those stories, when we start to kind of like question some of those thoughts, we often start to see that that's not really the full picture, that many of those stories aren't actually true, right? So for you, what I think could be really interesting is to start to look at some of the stories that came up. Like, you know, one of the stories I heard was I should be spending more time on this podcasting and other stuff, but, you know, it's hard to do that. So right. it'd be interesting to question, like, should you be spending more time on this podcast? I don't know. And we have a whole process for how you do that with four questions and a turnaround that we can go through. <laughs> but I've found that to be kind of interesting because like you, I'm actually 39. I turned 40 in a couple months. Welcome you know, to the club. I kind of went through a similar traditional track of I was going to be a professor and I was a professor. And then I realized that I had some slightly different interests and I've been kind of figuring that out. And I find that the story sometimes is really what gets in the way. And that if I can start to see beyond the, these kind of fixed stories that are very habitual, as you said, they're kind of stories we've inherited from parents and relatives and our social conditioning, it can be really liberating. So anyway, those are some thoughts. <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate that. The other thing is obviously meditation is one of the basic foundations of this system. You know, that's the foundation of the habit of well-being. My question to you is for people who are beginners, people like me, yeah. people who are just listening, can you take us through how you meditate? Sure. What's the way to kind of get to that point where you're doing it? Yeah, obviously you're not an expert, but to the point where you are not looking at this and, you know, being flippant about yeah. it. How do you get serious about it? Yeah, that's a great question. First thing I would do is read a little bit about the neuroscience behind meditation. And I say that because that's how I ultimately got hooked on the practice. I had tried meditating quite a bit, you know, when I was a kid and at various times in my life, and it never really stuck. And once I was able to see the benefit clearly that like, oh, if I do this for 10 minutes or 20 minutes or 30 minutes a day, these changes are going to happen. So, you know, there's going to be a shift in activation from the right to the left side of my prefrontal cortex that's associated with happiness, greater well-being, less rumination, less mind-wandering, more presence. Once I started to see that, that like this isn't just some weird spiritual shift that's happening, 
This is like an actual neurobiological shift that we're doing. That gave me a lot of motivation because motivation is important. Meditation is not the most fun thing. You know, I like to say when we do talks and stuff, the idea of taking 10 minutes to sit with your eyes closed and do nothing sounds like torture to a lot of people. So you got to kind of have a reason for doing it. You have to have a good why. Once you have the why, then it's really just a matter of making sure you're doing the practice without falling into some of the traps. What so the one traps? of the traps that people fall into a lot at the beginning is this idea that like, oh, what I'm doing in meditation is I'm trying to like get rid of my thoughts or like clear my mind of thoughts, you know. And I go through that trap all the time, actually. So yeah. And so then you're sitting there for 10 minutes or 30 minutes and you got all this stuff happening, all these stories about the past and the future and this meeting and that and blah, blah, blah. And, and you can get frustrated and be like, oh, well, this is a crappy meditation. I'm not doing it right, et cetera. The truth is you are doing it right. There's no way to get rid of thoughts short of a lobotomy or, you know, certain kinds of drugs, right? So really what meditation is about, and this is one of the things we talk a lot about when we're working with beginners is cultivating a certain kind of focus and awareness where you can start to see when your mind gets swept away by one of these thoughts about the past or the future. You notice that you shift back to an object of concentration, which is generally the breath, the sensation of breathing. And then we call it notice shift rewire in the life XT program, which is the idea of rewiring, you know, seeing if you can just savor that experience of being present with the breath. And then, you know, 30 seconds later, another thought comes in, you get lost again, but you catch yourself. And Sharon Salzberg, one of the main teachers who brought meditation practice to the West, she calls that the magic moment of meditation. The moment when you are able to catch yourself and see that your mind is off wandering around and bring it back, you're developing awareness. And what you're developing there even more over time is what psychologists call meta-awareness, which is this ability to begin to see thoughts, emotions, sensations from this kind of like perspective of witness, which sounds like a trivial thing, but it's actually like, that's the whole game. Mm -hmm. If you can see fear and you can see doubt and you can see insecurity as just like fear arising, instead of being locked inside of it and like, oh my God, you know, like, taken for a ride by the fear like being above it or seeing it as opposed to being in the feeling exactly like that's a totally different experience and it's liberating completely liberating and that's kind of the the goal over time of the practice is to begin to cultivate that ability you're also building focus you know there's a lot of things you're doing but that's one of the key things you know one thing that i'm really interested in is you know, everybody's been talking about this term all the time, especially now that everybody is talking about mindfulness and changing, you know, people are changing their careers or people are mm -hmm. becoming more financially independent. So they're learning to be more minimalist and so forth. The concept that I mentioned to you before, which is gratitude, you hear it all the mm -hmm. time. It's like a buzzword, gratitude, gratitude. This. What exactly does gratitude mean? Like, you know what I'm talking about, right? Because people talk about yeah. it all the time, but I don't know if everybody really understands that concept. What does that yeah. mean? Well, if... It's okay with you. I would like to cite my gratitude mentor, which is my grandma Hilda, who died a year and a half ago. She lived to 97 years old. Wow. And there's been a lot of science on gratitude, but I actually think for me, she was the world's leading expert on the practice. 
And she used to say, gratitude is appreciation for what you have, not what you wish you had. She was from North Carolina, so there's a little Southern twang in there. Okay. What you had, not what you wish you had. And, you know, she didn't have a PhD. She didn't study neuroscience. But what she knew is that it's kind of shifting from what the mind habitually does, which is, you know, thinking about if we could control reality and change things, wouldn't it be nice if this happened and that happened? And, you know, I made more money and I had a nicer car. And the what ifs. Yeah, my wife didn't nitpick me as much. And, you know, all these things, right? Mm -hmm it completely distracts us from what we actually have. So I think that's to me, the essence of gratitude and Epictetus, the Stoic philosopher, interestingly has a quote that's very similar to my grandma Hilda. So, you know, it's not just her, there are other luminaries who have a similar perspective. Now I want to ask you, you know, if we got an opportunity to kind of boil this down, cause we talked about a lot of different things. Right? Yeah. There's three actually major steps in your book, three major steps in your system. But, you know, for the sake of this podcast, if we can boil this down to one important point, what's the one thing you want everybody to walk away from from this episode? I think the most important concept is the one we've really put at the core of this program, which is the idea that I mentioned before of notice, shift, rewire. We even shorthand it sometimes to NSR. And that's such a big idea because... Really, I think of that as kind of, that's like the underlying algorithm that you can use to build any habit, right? The idea is, you know, noticing is that step of awareness, seeing that you're caught up in some stressful thought or seeing that you're about to slip into some destructive habit. Noticing is really what gives us freedom and choice. And then the shift is really the move of reorienting attention to something different. So in LifeXT, there's all sorts of different practices. It could be, you know, simply shift my awareness to what's happening right now in the present moment. I'm gonna shift my awareness to the one thing that I'm grateful for right now. I'm gonna shift my awareness to a little bit of compassion for myself instead of constant judgment, right? Mm, there's all sorts big, of different- that's a big one. That's a big one, <laughs> exactly, yeah. especially in medicine. Mm -hmm. So there's all sorts of different things we could shift it to, or you go outside of the Life XT program, the shift move could be I'm walking by my pantry and I'm about to just devour a bag of potato chips. My shift could be I'm going to go pick up some like carrot sticks or something like that. Like, so the reason I think this is such a powerful sort of underlying idea is that it can be used for any habit, anything we're trying to train that involves creating new habits and conditioning the mind in a different way, you have that notice step, you have that shift step. And then the final one, which is the easiest to skip over, but it's really important, is this idea of rewire. And that's the idea of just taking a moment to savor the new experience. Or another way of putting it might be taking a moment, we're creating new neural pathways in the brain. And we're trying to turn those into a super highway using the basic insight of neuroplasticity, right? So savoring is almost like that step of really encoding this new habit deep into, you know, the neural pathways of the brain. Or if you want to talk about it in a sort of non-neurosciencey way, it's just savoring. It's noticing how much different life is when I feel grateful than when I'm pissed off at everybody, mm. right? Like how different my life is when I hear the birds outside because it's spring 
than when I'm like totally obsessed about some email I sent and what's that person going to say when they react to it or whatever, right? It's just noticing that we have this amazing power to shape our experience. So notice shift rewire. That's like my takeaway point. No, I love it. I love it. Like I said, this has been a really good read for me. I'm still getting through it, almost done with awesome. it. I think it's a really easy read. I really like the appendix portion where you can go and just kind of practice these different techniques yeah. and skills, obviously. So look, I want to give you, Nate Klemp, an opportunity to tell people about the book, where they can find a book and where they can get in contact with you and learn more about you, your program, and so forth. Yeah, that's a great question. So the book is called Start Here, Master the Lifelong Habit of Well-Being. It's available everywhere, right? You can get it at uh, Amazon. And I think it's still even, you know, if you go to Barnes and Noble, if people go to bookstores. <laughs> you can use your Kindle for that. Yeah, exactly. I don't know if people still do that. So that's the book. The program, LifeXT, which we do at, you know, our main focus, I would say, is businesses and healthcare, law, and consulting. We also do some work with individuals. The way to find the information about that is life-xt.com or lifecrosstraining.com. We have our website at those locations. And then also I do some weekly posts and you know, put out various ideas on LinkedIn. So if you're interested in following me on LinkedIn, Nate Klemp or LifeXT, we have a LinkedIn page as well. That's where we are on social. Yeah, I'll definitely put it in the show notes. And Nate Klemp, thank you so much for coming on Docs Outside the Box, writer, philosopher, entrepreneur as well as best-selling author, New York Times best-selling author, Nate Klemp. Thank you so much for being on Docs Outside the Box. Well, this has been a blast. I have just totally, thoroughly enjoyed this. Thanks for having me. 